Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us right here for the Active Church Podcast. We believe that you can tell a better story and we are so glad you are engaging with our content today. You're about to hear from one of our incredible teaching pastors and we hope that you'll be impacted by this message. Thanks again for being with us. Hey, welcome to Active at Home, everybody. My name is Mike. I serve as the lead pastor here at Active Church. And whether you're watching or you're listening to the podcast, thanks so much for being a part of the story that God is writing here at Active. You know, I've learned that being in the same place for a long time has a lot of benefit. Like for me at Active, I've been at Active for over 20 years. And the benefit is that I've been able to get to know so many people and get to know them personally. I've seen their story grow. I've seen them grow. I've seen them mature and love well and practice generosity. I've watched them grow up physically from being students to adults. It's a gift. And that's one of the benefits of being around for a long time. But there are also drawbacks. And the drawback is that people have been around me for a long time. And and I don't mind being known. I just know that there are some of you that know me from my first year. And I got to tell you, Year one, Mike, is different than 20-year Mike. Physically, I'm different, and emotionally, I'm different. Like, year one, Mike, he would dress with shorts and t-shirts and flip-flops. And year 20, Mike, has a different attire, and mainly because I got married and I have a daughter, and they dress me. Year one, Mike had a full head of hair, and year 20, Mike has more of a forehead than he has hair. But there's been a lot that's changed in me emotionally and spiritually, inside of me. Year one, Mike, struggled with being insecure and struggled with being unsettled about who he is and what he was becoming. 20-year Mike hasn't solved that problem, but I can tell you that I've grown. I've grown more committed, I've grown more confident, and I've grown to be more courageous. And if you would have interacted with me 20 years ago and then interacted with me today, I hope that you would see a difference in me because I see a difference in me. I hope that you would feel a difference in me because I feel a difference in me. And what's true of me is perhaps even true of you. If I was to interact with you 20 years ago and then interact with you today, our hope, my hope, your hope would be that you're different and that it's a good different, right? We ask all sorts of questions about what is that in people? How, How did they become different? How did they transform? And so we'll read books about decisions and choices that we can make to be better. We'll listen to podcasts and go to seminars to learn about how we can be better. And all of that is good, but I'm convinced that there's one decision, there's one choice that is superior than all other decisions and choices that help us to transform, that help us to be different, that help us to be better. And I wanna talk about that choice today. It's a choice that's actually found in the story of Jacob in the scriptures. Jacob's really, really famous in the history of the Jews and in the history of Christianity and the history of the world. Jacob's famous for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons is because whenever God introduces himself, God actually uses the name and the likeness and the story of Jacob in that introduction. The first time that we come across this in the scriptures is actually when God is interacting with Moses. And Moses was tasked to lead the rescue effort to get the Jewish slaves out of Egypt. And when Moses asks who this God is that's inviting him to do that, God responds with this, that I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Like God uses Jacob's name and likeness and story as a part of his story. 
It's why people knew about Jacob. It's extraordinary. But it didn't happen on accident. It happened because God did something in him. And it started with a remarkable decision, a superior decision that Jacob made that transformed him and transformed his story. So again, I want to talk about that decision today. I want to show you what that decision is. And then I want to invite you to make that decision. But in order to understand the weight of it, in order to understand the power of it, I got to take you back and share a bit of the messiness of Jacob's story because it was messy. When we first get introduced to Jacob, we're told that he is trying to get something that doesn't belong to him. See, Jacob is a twin. His twin brother is Esau. But Esau was considered the oldest because Esau was born first. He was the one that came out of the womb first. And that was really significant in the Jewish culture because as the oldest, you would receive two significant things. The first thing that you would receive is the birthright. Now, this isn't something that we actually practice in our culture today, but some of the language is similar to what we do today. The birthright was the affirmation that when your mom and dad passed away, you would be the leader of the family. It was also an announcement that when they did pass away, you would get double inheritance of everything that they owned. You would get double over your brothers or your sisters. And then there was this third component to the birthright that was interesting. And it's not really explained in the scripture, except that it was believed that if you held the birthright, God was with you and more present with you than with others. That was their conviction. That was their belief. And that's why being the oldest was so important. The second reason that being the oldest was so important was you would receive the blessing from your dad. So when your dad was taking his last breath, he would give the blessing to the oldest son. And the way that this blessing worked was the dad would say to the son, take our family name and tell a better story. Grow it. Honor God in everything that you do. And so we first meet Jacob and he is wanting this blessing. And his mom, Rebecca, wants the blessing for him as well. And it's at the end of Isaac's life. That's Jacob's dad. And at the end of his life, he can't see, and he's close to taking his last breath. And so Jacob decides to deceive his dad by trying to get this blessing. And we read in the document of Genesis chapter 27, starting in verse 18, that Jacob went to his father and he said, my father. And Isaac responds with, yes, my son. And then he asks this question. Who is it? Because he's not sure if it's Jacob or if it's Esau. And then Jacob says to his father, listen to these words. I am Esau, your firstborn. Give me your blessing. Jacob is after something that doesn't belong to him. He's after something that isn't owed to him. But he decides to manipulate and deceive. He even goes as far as to put animal hair on his arms because his brother Esau was a hairy beast. Like he had hair all over him. And so Jacob decides to actually deceive his father so he can receive something that doesn't belong to him. And after this manipulation, after this moment, Esau comes in unaware of what has happened and he wants the blessing from his dad. And we read in verse 35 of chapter 27 of Genesis that they begin to realize that Jacob has deceived his father and Esau begins to realize that the blessing has already been given and you can't give it twice. And so this conversation goes this way. Isaac says to Esau, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And Esau asks a very reasonable question. He goes, well, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Like in other words, he shouldn't have received that. And in that moment, it clicks for him. My brother is pretending to be something that he's not. 
my brother is deceiving and manipulating those that he loves. And this wasn't the first time. In fact, just before this, Jacob tricked Esau to sell him his birthright for a bowl of soup because Esau was hungry. And so Jacob said, hey, I'll give you this soup if you give me your birthright. So not only does he have the blessing, but he also manipulated and got the birthright. And this causes Jacob to take everything that was supposed to be for Esau. And it causes Esau to get really frustrated with his brother. We read that Esau held a grudge against his brother, Jacob. And he said to himself, listen to these words, I will kill my brother, Jacob. Now I have three brothers, one older, two younger. And growing up, we rumbled. Sometimes it was for fun and other times it wasn't fun at all. I can remember one moment when my older brother was giving me a ride home from church of all places and he made me so mad. And at the time he was dating what was his first girlfriend. And I made a comment to him in the truck that was inappropriate and rude about his girlfriend. She wasn't there, thankfully. But I made a comment because I wanted to stir him up. I wanted to fire him up. I wanted to make him mad because he made me mad. And that comment did stir him up. Like he got so mad at me. And we were arguing in the truck. We got out of the truck. We're walking into the house. And, and I made a comment again. I doubled down on the comment. And my brother Dave grabbed me and then just started swinging. And he landed a punch squarely in my nose. Now, I already have a large nose, but you can imagine what would happen with a broken nose. Like this sucker grew three sizes that day, just like the Grinch's heart, except it was my nose. And immediately he apologized. Immediately I apologized. And we knew we were in trouble. We weren't afraid of each other. We were afraid of mom and dad finding out what we had done. But we, we rumbled often. We fought often. And I can tell you that I've never been afraid for my life with my brothers, but Jacob was afraid for his because of what he's done, manipulated and deceived. So he does what most of us do when we don't want to have confrontational conversations, when we don't want to deal with what we've done or what they've done. He runs. He runs away. He, he goes to hide. And on his way, as he's running, he meets a girl named Rachel. He falls in love and he works out a deal with her dad to work for seven years so that he can earn the right to marry her. This is what was customary in that time. Father agrees. Jacob works for seven years for Laban is his name, works for Laban so he can earn the right to marry Rachel. And on the seventh year, on the, on the day of that seventh year, he gets to marry Rachel. And so Laban brings his daughter to the altar and they have a ceremony. But what Jacob doesn't know is that Laban brings Leah, his oldest daughter, and not Rachel, the one that Jacob has fallen in love with. Are you following me here? <laughs> like, this is just so good. This is better than Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, Virgin River. Like, this, this has got so much drama connected to it. And it gets worse. Jacob doesn't realize that he married Leah. He realized that the next day it was Leah. He doesn't realize even on the wedding night that it's Leah. So either he's a doofus or they had some really good drinks at this wedding, right? And we know in Jewish history that weddings would be for a few days. So maybe he was just plastered. Maybe he was just drunk. Who knows? But when he finds out it's Leah, he knows that he's been manipulated. Get this. The manipulator has been manipulated. And so he decides to go to his father-in-law and say, what, what is this about? And his father-in-law said, I didn't feel like it was right to have my younger daughter get married first. I needed her to get married first, the older daughter. 
So Jacob works out another deal, another seven years, and he'll be able to marry Rachel, and he is able to. So 14 years pass before he can marry Rachel. 14 years have passed since he deceived his father and Esau. And by the way, at the end of this 14 years, Jacob is married to both women. Now, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that God is okay with that. I want to be clear about that. This is in the Bible because it happened. And God isn't afraid to tell you the true, honest, authentic story of these people. But it also is an announcement that God uses messy people to tell a better story. And so here is Jacob, married to Rachel and married to Leah, and builds a family. And along the way, he actually gets really frustrated with his father-in-law and manipulates back. And the father-in-law finds out and feels very dishonored. And you know what it causes? It causes Jacob to run. So 14 years ago, he ran and found this family. And now, 14 years later, he's running again because he's a manipulator and he's a deceiver. And what we find is that as he's running, he begins to think about what he's done. He begins to think about his brother Esau. So he sends a messenger to find Esau, to find out if Esau is still mad. This is that late night text message to the person that you're frustrated with, that you've argued with. This is you texting going, hey, you up, right? This is that moment. So Jacob sends a messenger to Esau. And the messenger comes back and says this in Genesis 32, verse 6. Hey, we went to your brother Esau. And now he is coming to meet you. And listen to this. And 400 men are with him. That message was not received well by Jacob because he assumed that Esau was still mad. And he assumed that Esau was bringing an army. And he assumed that Esau wanted to take his life. So he hides all of his family, all of his possessions, and they cross over this river and, and he is so afraid of what's happening. He begins to process like, why is this taking place? And this is where I wanna pause for just a moment because we have to talk about this. There is a biblical principle in the scriptures. And the principle is this, reaping and sowing. It's talked about a few times by a few different writers. One in particular is Paul. And I want to be very clear about reaping and sowing. This is not karma. Karma is something that we've created because we have experienced the biblical principle of reaping and sowing, but we just didn't have language for it. This is not karma. This principle works this way, that how you honor others and how you invest in others and how you influence others can potentially benefit them or harm them. And God honors those who honor others by honoring them. Are you with me? That God will honor you if you honor others. This is how God works in our life and in the universe. The universe isn't some form that actually moves things forward. There isn't a force in the universe that brings us together. What we feel in the universe, what we feel when we call it a force, we call it karma, is we're feeling the hand of God, a personal creator who is moving things and shaping things and forming things, who's at work in you and in me. And this is important because God is not a passive force in the world, but actively present in the world. And what Jacob is feeling in this moment is that he hasn't honored the people around him. And he's reaping what he has sowed, which is why he's afraid, which is why he hides, which is why he sends his family away. And then he crosses a river and we're told in Genesis 32, starting in verse 23, that 
Jacob had sent the family across the stream and sent over all his possessions. And then in verse 24, we read that Jacob was left alone. And this is where the story gets really interesting. And where we begin to see Jacob making a decision that's superior to all other decisions that changes him. And God does a good work here. We read that a man, when Jacob is alone, a man begins to wrestle with him till daybreak. Now, Jacob's in a a place called Jabok, which literally translates wrestler. And this is exactly what happens when he's all alone. He begins to wrestle with all of his thoughts and feelings and emotions. He begins to wrestle with his past and his present and what the future would look like. Everything that he's done and everything that has been done to him, he begins to wrestle with it. Now, for clarity, some theologians believe that he's not just wrestling alone, but he's wrestling with someone. The writer says it's a man. Some scholars actually call this man an angel, and other theologians call this man God. Now, I know it's weird, and maybe this is one of the reasons why you might struggle with the scriptures, because it feels a bit strange, mystical, right? It feels a bit illogical, like what's really happening here? But could I explain it this way? Have you ever had a conversation with someone that you're frustrated with while you're showering or in the car or on a run and you, you talk to them in your mind? You, you talk to them in your heart? You're, you're arguing with them and you're thinking about all their comebacks and you're responding to their comebacks. Have you ever had a, a, a conversation? Isn't it great when you have those conversations, by the way? You always win them, right? You always win them. This is that moment for Jacob. He is having a personal wrestling match with everything that he has done. And to take it even further, have you ever talked to God that way? You ever wrestled with God privately in your mind, in your heart? You ask questions like, God, why? And God, what are you doing? And God, when will this end? This is that moment for Jacob. This is why this man doesn't have a name, because the point is not the man. The writer wants us to understand that the point is that he's wrestling with what he's done and what he's sowed and what he's reaping. Jacob is a mess in this this moment, and, and he's overwhelmed. And then the writer tells us this in verse 25, that the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob. He could not overpower him as they've wrestled. Like the the emotions and feelings and all of that is happening all at the same time. And we read that whoever is wrestling with him touches Jacob on the socket of his hip so that his hip is wrenched is the word that the writer uses. Now that word literally means twisted or pulled. Again, don't get caught up in the person that he's wrestling. Get caught up in the story that they're telling us. What the writer wants us to understand is all of this wrestling, this physical, emotional, spiritual wrestling has physically affected Jacob. Just like your stress and your anxiety physically affects you. Your fear and your worry physically affects you. That's where headaches come from. That's where ulcers start, right? So Jacob's no different than us. And there is some really interesting imagery in this story, but the writer wants us to understand that Jacob's as human as you are and as as I am. And he's in this process of being a manipulator and a deceiver and not wanting to live that way anymore. That's what he's wrestling with. And then the writer tells us in verse 26 that the man that Jacob is wrestling with says, let me go for it's daybreak. And then Jacob, listen to the question that he asks. He, He more makes a statement. He says this, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
I will not let you go unless you bless me. Does that sound familiar? That, that's what he went to his father for. He wanted the blessing from his father. And he manipulated that moment, didn't he? He deceived in that moment, didn't he? And now his life, 14 years later, is coming full circle. This is, this is one of the reasons why most theologians don't believe that this man is just a man that he's wrestling with. That Jacob's actually wrestling with God. Because Jacob wants a blessing from God. This moment is pivotal and sacred and powerful. And then here's where things begin to shift. Remember when Isaac asks who it is, when Jacob comes in, Jacob says, I'm Esau. Your firstborn son, give me the blessing. Here's where things begin to pivot. Here's where moments begin to change. For Jacob, personally. Listen to what the man asks him. He says, what is your name? You ever had deja vu? Where you are living a moment and then you live that moment or you feel like you're living that moment all over again or you feel like you've been there and then, and then it, you're there again? This must have been a deja vu moment for Jacob. And he could have said, Here who, here's who I am. I'm, I'm Esau, I'm this person, I'm that person. But this time something shifts in him and he responds this way. I am Jacob. No more pretending, no more deception, no more manipulation. I am Jacob. I want a blessing from God. And in that time, they believe that a blessing from God is the belief that God is with you, and that God is for you, and God is leading you. And Jacob, he just wants affirmation from God, and he doesn't want inauthentic affirmation. He wants God to know all of him genuinely and give him a blessing. He wanted to know that, that he's pleasing God with his life, which really brings up an interesting question for us. Like, what pleases God? You know what we tend to do? We tend to believe that our behavior pleases God. And so when we talk about what pleases God, we either take a posture of being self-righteous. I am so good and God is so pleased with me. Or we take a posture of being self-deprecating. I am so terrible and I know that God is not pleased with me. But what Jacob teaches us in this moment is to be self-aware. He knows what he did. And he has a chance to repeat the cycle, but he decides not to. He decides to be real and genuine in that moment. He decides to be self-aware. And you know the self-aware are aware of what pleases God. And what pleases God is our dependence upon God. What God does in us is what pleases God. What God does through us is what pleases God. And what happens next helps Jacob to understand that. The man says to Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob. In other words, you will no longer be a manipulator. You will no longer be a deceiver. You will no longer be someone who pretends. I'm going to give you a new name. And again, this is why theologians believe it's God. He says, you will be called Israel. That's a that's a well-known name, right? That's a nation. That's the people of God. You know where the name came from? It's the name that God gave Jacob. And he says, here's why you're going to have that name, because you struggle with God and with humans, and you have overcome, my friend. I added the my friend part. But this is what the man says to Jacob. He gives him a new name because he is going to be defined not by what he has done, but what God has done in him and through him. 
And the writer tells us, Jacob calls this place Penel because he says, it is because I saw God face to face and my life was spared. I depended upon him and that pleased him. And the sun rose above Jacob as he passed Penel and he was limping because of his hip. We're told that he's marked emotionally and he's marked spiritually and he's marked physically from this moment. I think what we can learn from this story of Jacob, this particular moment in Jacob's life, is that when you encounter the living God, you become something that you could never achieve on your own. When you encounter the power of God, you become something that you could never arrive at on your own. It's God who changes you and transforms you. It's God who changes me and transforms me. It's why year one Mike is different than 20 year Mike. It's why you're different now. And what we learn in the story of Jacob is that one superior decision that changes everything for us. You know what the decision was? Jacob decided to not use God and treat God as a reference point. You know why he wanted the blessing and the birthright? Because if he held it, he felt like that means that God was pleased with him. And he could check in every once in a while to make sure that God isn't too mad at him or he hasn't been too bad or God isn't too sad with his behavior because he had the birthright and he had the blessing. But Jacob decides to not treat God as a reference point, to check in. You know what Jacob does? He decides to treat God as God. More importantly, as his God. Here's the difference. When God is your point of reference, you are including him in your life. But when God is your God, you're depending upon him for life. The way forward looks like this. Instead of God and what I want to do. When you call God your God and he's not a reference point, it's God, therefore, what do you want to do? And you and I have a choice. And you and I have a decision to make. And you and I have a better story to tell. And the decision that you and I can make is this. Instead of treating God as a point of reference, checking in, showing up to church every once in a while, watching online or listening to the podcast, just to make sure that we're good, that God isn't too mad, too sad, or we're not too bad. We can actually make God the God of our life. You know what took Jacob from being a pretender to actually being someone that is depending upon God? It was that decision and the power of God met him there. This is why God says, you know who I am? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's not ashamed of Jacob. Why? Because Jacob has depended and is depending upon him. He made God the Lord of his life. And this is the narrative all the way through the scriptures. Paul actually summarized it in a really powerful way in his letter to people like you and me. He said this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by the faith that I have in the Son of God who, listen, loved me and gave himself for me. That doesn't sound like someone's just checking in, right? Paul isn't going, hey, we good? Can I move away from you and go and do what I want to do and then just check back in, maybe bring my sin bucket, dump it out, have you forgive me, and then go and do it again. Be guilty and then come in and ask for forgiveness and then go and do whatever I want to do. That doesn't sound like God is a reference point for Paul. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like Jesus is Lord of the life of Paul. 
He leads me, guides me, protects me, forgives me, sets me free. And friends, that's why I am confident and courageous in my 20th year at Active, because Jesus is Lord of my life. And he was in year one, but those 20 years have helped me to depend upon him and trust in him and go public with what he's done inside of me. I'm not gonna live a life of God and what I want. I wanna live a life that says, God, therefore, what do you want? And I wanna invite you to do the same. Because that life says, you are my God, therefore I will depend upon you. You are my God, therefore I will be defined by you. You are my God, therefore I will submit and surrender to you. You are my God, therefore I will receive your love and salvation, the one that you gave to me through the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Friends, the decision that changes your life, the superior decision over all other decisions is the decision to not treat God as a point of reference, to not check in with God to make sure you're good. The decision is to call God, God, and to invite God to be your God. We call it trusting in Jesus, accepting Christ, becoming a Christian. It's Jesus being Lord. And we don't keep it private. We go public with it around here. It's why baptism is prioritized on Sundays like today. Because we want to announce the private work of God in a public way. Jesus invites us to do that. He said this, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. You know who your advocate is in heaven? Jesus, the Son of God. You don't have to go and say, look what I've done. You just keep your mouth shut because Jesus opens his mouth for you because he gave his life for you and resurrected from the grave to give you life. And he did it all for you. Friends, this is the decision that we get to make today. And this is the decision that dozens and dozens of people will make at our campus today as they choose to get baptized. And this is a decision I want to invite you to make. Whether you're watching or you're listening to this, if you're watching this live, you can come to our campus today. We have services at 9 and 1045, and at the end of both of those services, we are going to be baptizing friends, and I would love for you to be a part of that. But if you're unable to come, then I want to invite you to message us, comment below, reach out to me personally, because I want to help you get started in this journey of baptism. I want to help you get started in this journey of not treating God as a point of reference, but living a life that is submitted and surrendered to the God of the universe that we found and we know through the person and work of Jesus. You know why God invited Jacob into this moment? Because Jacob's story is our story. He was messy and chaotic and was stuck. And God changed his life and Jacob decided, I, I don't want to just check in with him. I want to live life with him. And that's why God says, you know who I am? I'm the God of that guy. His story is my story because I've changed his story. You know what he says about me? He says, I'm the God of that guy. I've transformed him because he has trusted in me. You know what he says about you? I'm the God of you. And he'll transform your story if it hasn't been transformed already. He'll restart your story if you need it to be restarted. And it begins with you saying, God, would you be my God in all of my life? No longer will I check in to make sure you're not too mad. I haven't been too bad or 
I've made you too sad. I want you to be my God. So today you have a chance to do that. You have a chance to trust in Jesus. You have a chance to go public in your faith in Jesus. And I want to help. I want to pray some words over you and invite you to consider what it means for you to get baptized. And then let us know because we want to help you get started. Let me pray these words over you. Heavenly Father, man, you take all of what we've done and you turn it for good. You take all of our chaos and you turn it into courage. You take all of our mess and you, you turn it into a beautiful message. God, you take our story and you tell a better story. And so Heavenly Father, I pray for those watching and for those listening, they would go public, whether it be for the first time, they say, Jesus, I trust you. Or maybe they need to come back to you. Or maybe the day they need to be courageous and get baptized and get baptized here at the Ukaipa location or at their homes. But God, may we no longer live privately in our relationship with you, but may we go public. And may the world feel your love and your grace and experience your salvation because you have done a great work in us and through us. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray all of these things. Amen and amen and amen. We hope you enjoy the Active Church podcast. If you want to know more about Active Church, you can follow us on our social media platforms at Active Churches. Don't forget to subscribe as well to stay connected to future podcasts. And if you are a local, we would love for you to experience the room with us. Sunday services are 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. in Ukaipa. See you next time.